Ezekiel 37 verse 1, it says this. The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on, on the floor of the valley, bones that were. He went out of his way not to just say that, that the bones were dry, but, but he said they were very dry. I, I don't take the word dry to mean dry. I take the word to mean hopeless. I feel like Ezekiel was saying as I was looking at all these dismembered skeletons, it, it, it wasn't just hopeless, but it was, it was very hopeless. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendon to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put my breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. There was no breath in them. There was no breath in them. I couldn't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied. As he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Father God, you're the God that turns graves into gardens. You're the God that takes beauty and changes it into ashes or ashes and changes into beauty. You're the God that takes bones and makes them into a vast army. You're the God that can breathe life. God, into a hopeless situation. You're a God that can turn America around, that can turn racism around. You're a God that can take hard hearts and turn them into flesh. God, you're a God that can turn the people to you. So God, we're praying that you would breathe on this moment, that you would speak to us. And God, when, we, when you speak as your church, we will listen. Right where you are, can you say that with me? Say, God, when you speak, we will obey. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. We are uh, 
Jumping into week three of a series called, I Think I Like People. And uh, with every time I preach, we pray and kind of hear from God of what we think this series should be and what we think it should sound like. And you never know kind of where life is going to be and what's going to happen. And, and, and I do think that there's a prophetic moment and idea to this whole thing of I think I like people. Uh, because right now it doesn't look like too many people <laughs> like people in this country. And I don't know where you're viewing from. And I know there's so many people that are viewing from overseas. But here in America right now, over the last probably about two weeks, and somebody might say over 400 years, but we'll just stick with the last two weeks. It just looks like there's not a lot of people that, that like each other. If COVID-19 wasn't enough, and by the way, where has COVID gone? Like, I, I, I mean, it's over. Like, nobody's talking about masks. Nobody's talking. Are we still under stay-at-home order? What's going on? I'm being facetious. I know that we are, and, and at least here where we are in Howard County, that we're still uh, a practicing a safer-at-home, and we can't wait to get back to church. And, but this has just been just overwhelming as we've been dealing with, you know, COVID-19 and all that other kind of stuff. And then as if that wasn't enough, um, here in this country, we've seen over the last uh, four to five weeks, uh, three different African-Americans uh, murdered. Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and two of those um, were caught on camera. It's, it's something to, to hear about it. It's something completely different to view it. And if I'd be honest with you, uh, these last uh, probably about 10 days or so, it's been just a whirlwind of emotion, of thought, of feelings. And one of the things that I've realized is that as the pastor of Destiny Church, that it's my job to lead this church through uh, seasons of crisis, seasons of anger, seasons of frustration. Um, but first I got to lead me and figure out, God, what am I going to do with my anger and my frustration and my confusion and all that other kind of stuff. And I've kind of been wrestling through that and, and battling with that. Um, as you know, there, there's been protests uh, all over the country uh, for the last uh, number of years, I was actually at a uh, number of years, number of days, I was actually at uh, one of those protests, a peaceful protest um, here in Howard County uh, this week. And just thank you so much for our county executive, uh, Calvin Ball, and the Howard County Police Department for um, calling that uh, vigil and, and that protest. And, and I think it is really cool to see how people in their own ways, in their own areas of influence are speaking up or raising their voice and, and trying to do the best that they can um, to bring attention to a change that is so necessary. Um, there are some people that are turning up. <laughs> they are smashing things and burning things and looting. And I by no means uh, encourage that, um, support it, but I understand it. Let me say it this way, and I don't know what the chat room's gonna look like. We may have to shut it down. I don't really care, but I'm just gonna talk for a second. 
you never know what you would not do when you face a certain level of anger, frustration, and fear, and you don't have the hope of God. And, and I, I will be the last person to look at somebody and judge them for what they're doing um, when they don't have the hope in God that I have. Because quite frankly, without the hope of God, there might be a little Malcolm X in me. <laughs> and I might tear something up, but I won't, I won't, I won't. Somebody say, stay on script, stay focused. I, I, I was watching um, the video uh, of George Floyd's murder as he was laying on the ground gasping for breath. and You can hear him saying over and over and over and over again, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And I feel like as he passed away in front of what are now hundreds of millions of people saying the words, I can't breathe, that 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 phrase spoke to the sentiment of so many black people, honestly, all around the world. The United States right now is where um, the a focus is and, and the protests are and the upheaval and all that, but South Africa is able to say the same thing that America is able to say and, and different countries and different people. It's just this, I can't breathe. I I remember uh, back in middle school, I I had a conversation with my mom. I kind of grew up in a predominantly white world. I was homeschooled, Richie. Uh, which, is, which is a little different. So this, this is fun. It's a different story for a different day. People think if you're homeschooled, you make your own butter. I've never made butter a day in my life, but I did make my own whole wheat bread, and it was pretty good. So, you know, maybe that, that's the, the homeschool cliche there. But, but there's not a lot of black folks who homeschool. So I found myself kind of my entire schooling life in, in predominantly white co-ops. I was often the only black kid uh, in that kind of schooling environment. Uh, not only was I homeschooled, but I played soccer. And um, brothers, brothers, that brothers, they don't. <laughs> Ricky's looking at me like, nah, bro. Yeah, brothers, brothers don't play much soccer. They play basketball. They play football. You know, if you're African, you're like, all we play is, is soccer. Yeah, but, but brothers here in the States, they don't play much soccer. So I found myself for, for most of my career being one of the only black kids on the soccer team. Now, I lived in a black neighborhood. I went to a black church. So my whole life was kind of like 50-50, but I often found myself kind of being the only African-American, the only black person on the team in the, in the biology class or whatever it might be. And I remember around middle school, I came to my mom and I said, the only white people, and, and if me saying white people, black people offends you, the message ain't gonna be that long. You'll be okay. <laughs> I said, Ma, the only white people that I feel comfortable around because I feel like they're the only ones who feel comfortable around me are white people who grew up in the military or grew up in a diverse environment. In other words, people that grew up around people like me and were comfortable around people like me and, and didn't make me feel like I was different or that they couldn't, you know, joke with me or whatever it may be. It's like, mom, outside of these people that are used to me, I feel like everywhere I go, I'm holding my breath and I can't breathe. Now, you may be able to relate to that no matter what color you are. If you're black and you've been at work this week, it's probably been a long week as everybody is asking you, 
am I a racist? <laughs> Have I done anything racist? Can you explain this to me? I don't understand this, or I don't understand that, or whatever it may be, and you feel like you're just holding your breath. Now, I know not all of Destiny Church is black. Not everybody who watches are black, and, and you're probably white, and you're just saying, I'm holding my breath too because <laughs> I want to ask. I don't want to be a racist. I don't think I'm a racist. I don't hate anybody. I don't know what to do, but, but I'm afraid of asking the wrong question. I'm afraid of, of them blowing up on me. So I'm just like, I, I can't breathe. I, I remember being 19, driving my dad's uh, Volvo station wagon, and, and I was driving in, in a predominantly uh, white area, and, and it... I, I knew I was going to get pulled over like when I left the house that day. And I'm driving in this area and sure enough, an officer comes behind me and pulls me over. And, and I remember being detained as they searched to see where, not if the car was stolen, but where the car was stolen from. Because I don't know if you know this, black folks don't really drive Volvo station wagons either. We don't homeschool, we don't play soccer, we don't drive Volvo station. Mom, Dad, you set me up. Um, anyway... <laughs> So I remember them just searching, where, where was this car stolen from? And they're, they're looking for something in the car. And, and if I will be honest with you, in that moment, I wasn't frustrated. I wasn't angry. I wasn't annoyed. It was just life. This was just my reality. I remember uh, I went to University of Maryland College Park. Uh, the best school on planet Earth. And, and I was in accounting class, and it was one of those late-night exams. And, and I went in there, and, and hopefully I didn't feel the exam. I don't remember what I got into the exam. But, but we got out of the exam, and, and we let out. And if you know anything about Maryland, it's about as big as the entire state of Maryland. And you're, like, hiking four miles to get back to the dorm. So I'm coming out of the, the, the business school, and I'm heading back to North Campus. And, and as we're walking initially, there's a group of probably about 15, 16 people that, that, that came out of that, that, that exam, and were marching and we're walking, and then as time went on, you know, people started to, to kind of veer off. Some went to the cafeteria, some went to South Campus housing or whatever it may be, and about five minutes into the walk, I found myself where it was just me walking, and then there was a, a white girl probably about 30 feet ahead of me. Y'all already know where this story is going. <laughs> so she's walking, I'm walking, I'm on my phone, I'm minding my business, and, and I see her look over her shoulder and start walking a little faster. I don't know what she was afraid of, but whatever she was afraid of, I was afraid of. So I looked over my shoulder. I didn't see anything, but I started walking a little bit faster too. And she looked back and she picked up her pace. And I looked back and I couldn't find anything, but I picked up my pace. Surely she saw something back there and whatever she saw, I wanted no part of it. She, she took off in a little bit of a jog and, and I said, look, I'm not messing around with this. So I started jogging myself. The, the fear that I saw in her face, I was afraid of whatever she was afraid of. I'm, I'm being facetious a little bit. Y'all, 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 y'all have seen this picture a million times. Well, she gets to the dorm and she's trying to swipe her key card and swipe her key card. And, and I'm running because I'm like, man, I got to get in this door before whatever we're running from gets us. And, and right before she closed, I was like, hey, can you hold that for me? And she looks and she recognized my voice. I walk into the light and she says, Stephen, because she knew me. We were in the same class. We we studied together just in that circumstance, she didn't recognize me. And she said, I thought I wasn't necessarily the nicest black guy back then. I said, you thought what? Never mind. See, this is probably something that I've never preached and never said in nine years 
as a pastor of Destiny Church. I'm 33 years old. I've been a black man for 33 years, and I've been holding my breath for 33 years. Literally not being able to fully exhale and just be me. I, I, know, how to, I know how to play the game. I know how to dress the right way. I know how to speak properly and make sure I am articulating each of my words as I look through the building so that they cannot assume like I'm one of those black people so they can actually lease the building to Destiny Church or whatever it is, the business deal that we're in. I, I know that world. And over these last 10 days, I've been praying and saying, God, I can't breathe. And I'm tired of not being able to breathe. I'm tired of not being able to, to fully be me. So today, I, I want to preach a message particularly to um, Destiny Church. I want to preach a message to the Church of America. And specifically, as Christians, what should our response be to the brokenness in our country when it comes to racial relations? You, you, you know me, you, you've been at the church for, for years, you know, I'm practical. I, I was out marching this week and, 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 I, and I feel that, yes, posting does do, you know, you know, posting on social media doesn't do anything. Well, all I know is that Ahmaud Aubrey was murdered. Nobody did anything. And then there was a lot of posting, and the posting turned into a lot of phone calls, and the phone calls turned into arrests. So I'm not sure if posting does anything or doesn't do anything, but I, I'm going to go with posting. But here's what I'm asking. What are we to do four weeks from now? What are we to do eight weeks from now? What are we to do to actually see this thing take a turn and not just die down until there's another situation similar to this? And if this makes you uncomfortable, I'm not really sorry. I'll throw in a couple of jokes so we can all laugh and kind of ease it up. And I promise it's not going to be heavy. I'm not attacking white people. I'm not attacking black people. I am attacking the church, though. Because I do think as a church, we have a responsibility that we need to do something. I want to give you some practical steps of what the church should do. I want to preach a message called prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the breath. If you're taking notes, write this down. And if you're not taking notes, um, yeah, I got no words for you. Uh, the first thing is this. God is leading us to the brokenness. God is leading us to the brokenness. So it says this in the passage that in Ezekiel 37, it says Ezekiel was, was having a vision. And in that vision, the Holy Spirit was speaking to him about the state of his nation, was leading and guiding him. And then it says that the Holy Spirit took Ezekiel and he led him to a valley where there was brokenness everywhere. So there was a valley of dry bones. He said not only were they dry bones, but they were very dry bones. And the Holy Spirit took him there. I think the Holy Spirit took Ezekiel there. And I think the Holy Spirit is taking the church to a place of brokenness because we wouldn't go there unless the Holy Spirit forced us to. Ezekiel wouldn't just stumble into a valley of dry bones. If you, by the way, Richie, when America opens up, and I don't know where you're watching, you probably at a restaurant or whatever, you open. We ain't open in Maryland. We can't get a reservation at a restaurant to save our lives. We are stuck in our house. When America opens, a valley of dry bones is not the first place I plan to go. 
Matter of fact, I think that as the church, we're not really going to look at the brokenness around us until God leads us to it. And I think one of the reasons why we're unaware, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, I think not only were white people made aware of the state of our country over the last 10 days, I think as black folks, we were made aware or forced to look at something that, that we've been kind of ignoring or taking for granted or just feeling like there's nothing that I can do there. And I think in this moment, God is saying, no, 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 look at it. One of the reasons why we become unaware of the brokenness around us is because we spend so much of our energy trying to get away from that brokenness. You got to understand, I, I went to college so my life wouldn't be broken anymore. Like, like, like I'm working my tail off to take the broken areas of my life and make it whole. I, I moved to this area of town to be able to get away from the brokenness. And, and I once was broken. God has made me whole. I've worked hard for my wholeness. And that's awesome. That's great. God doesn't want you broken. God wants you whole. But here's the thing. As believers, God makes us whole, but we can't become unaware of the brokenness around us and the brokenness in our nation. Statistics show that a little less than 50% of all marriages end in divorce. That is brokenness that we need to be aware of. 11% of Americans live below the poverty line, and 69% of Americans cannot put their hands on $1,000 in an emergency. That is brokenness that the church needs to be aware of. Some statistics show that one in four girls and one in five boys have been sexually abused before the age of 18. That is brokenness that the church needs to be aware of. 11% of our population between the ages of 18 and 25 battle deep depression. Close to 20% of pregnancies in this nation end in abortion. That is brokenness that we must be aware of the marginalization of black people in this country is brokenness that the church must be aware of if i'd be honest with you i think as the church we've been picking and choosing what brokenness we pay attention to the Bible says in Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those whose spirit are crushed. Brokenness is where the church was always created to be. I think about Mother Teresa in the, in the slums of Calcutta. That's not where you would expect to see a mighty woman of God. But here's what she understood, that where people are in the greatest pain is where the church should have the greatest presence. Look, if you're looking for Jesus, look for brokenness. Because as Jesus walked this earth, he looked for broken situation after broken situation after broken. Matter of fact, this is what he said. He said, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. The only purpose that I have here on earth is to be where there is brokenness. And it is the job of the church to be in the places of brokenness. And I'll be honest with you, I think we're missing some of the brokenness around us. Can you imagine how awkward it was for Ezekiel? It says that God took him, and it said he didn't just take him into the valley of dry bones. It says he led him back and forth and made him examine the bones. Like, y'all, that's, that's awkward. 
Me and my wife, we, we watch TV. Uh, I like shows where they, they, they shoot guns. So if that offends you, God bless you. That's just my flow. Get out of my house. But we'll watch Chicago PD. We'll, we'll mess around with Chicago Fire. I don't do Chicago Med. I don't do blood. Pastor, you say you just like guns. Yeah, but, but, but I don't like the surgery afterwards and, and all that other kind of stuff. I just get squeamish, you know what I mean? It's, it's like they're, they're fixing the person with the stuff squirting on. I'm like, no, I don't want no part of that. Can you imagine how awkward it was for Ezekiel as he is walking through this valley of skeletons? And excuse me, God didn't say, I'm sorry, this is hard to look at. He didn't say, I'm sorry, this is uncomfortable. He said, no, 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 church, you need to look at this. You need to see this. Here's what I believe. I know for a fact that God did not cause the death of Ahmaud Aubrey, of Breonna Taylor, or of George Floyd. But here's what I do know. I know that he's using it. I think that it being in the midst of this COVID-19 season, as we're coming to the tail end of it, God is strategically using this moment. Because of COVID-19, every distraction has been removed. There's nothing else to look at. There's no sports on TV. The election is happening, but can't nobody travel and have a rally anywhere. So we're not really paying attention to this. And I think God is using this moment to make us stare at something that's awkward and uncomfortable. But as the church, we need to deal. We need to deal with it. It says this in verse 3, he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Let me repent for a second. As your pastor, as a, as a black man, I'll be honest with you, I've ignored the issue of racial inequality in this country. I've ignored the fact that I feel like I can't breathe, and here's why, because I feel like you have two options. You either are gonna be that angry black man all the time. You're gonna be frustrated at every injustice, every side eye, every time you feel like you're not treated well, or you're gonna say, hey, there are bad people and there's good people, I'm gonna focus on the good people and I'm gonna go after the destiny that God has for me, but I don't have time to fix an entire country. Here's what I think our, our unwillingness to stare at the issue is, that it's such a big issue, we feel hopeless. We literally feel as a white person, what can I do? I can't change 300 million other people. Or as a black person, you feel like, what can I do? I don't have power or authority. I can't change 300 million people. You look at the situation and because you feel like it's hopeless to fix, you say it's better for me to look away. But I feel like our response should be to this situation the same way Ezekiel's response was when God says, can America ever love each other? Can this ever be the land of everybody being free and everybody being brave? I feel like our response doesn't need to be, I'm hopeless. With the 400 years of history of inequality that we have and, and the fact that it doesn't look like anybody is willing to risk their influence or risk, risk their finances or risk their political power to actually see change. I actually, instead of saying, God, it's too hard, we need to respond like Ezekiel respond. God, only you know. And by the way, God has never asked a question that he does not know the answer to. I think in this season, Destiny Church, we don't just need to rush through this. I think there's some people that are just waiting for something else to come on the news. 
Like, when is this going to be over? When, let's just move on. Let's just, this is not helping anybody. It's making things work. Everybody's angry. Everybody's on each other's throat. No, no, no. I feel like the Holy Spirit, at least for us, Destiny Church, has us sitting here and saying, no, 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 don't look away. Don't move on. Sit in it in a moment. Because this is a brokenness that I've called you to respond to. The second thing is this. We play Apart. So look what God said. In verse 4, he said, Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now notice what God did not say. He brought Ezekiel into a place where everything was broken, everything was awkward, everything was hard to look at, everything was uncomfortable. And here's what God did not say. God did not say, Ezekiel, I'll fix it. He, he, he didn't say, Ezekiel, I'm going to get in trouble, but I don't care. This is a heart issue. Ezekiel, this is something that, that, that needs to be fixed in the heart. You know what he also didn't say? He did not say, Ezekiel, you need to pray about it. Oh, you're getting, you're getting strong. Oh, you, 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 you. <laughs> Church, prayer is not going to fix the racial inequality in this nation. Now, I'm not saying that prayer is not important and prayer is not powerful, but watch me and I'll say it very slowly and then I'll clean it up at the end. Prayer has never changed the world in itself. Right now, Destiny Church is reaching thousands of people. Thousands of people have given their life to Christ. And can I tell you that did not happen from us locking ourselves in a room and praying it into existence. You know how it happened? You gave financially. You gave of your time. You joined a dream team. You went out to Woodlawn and Laurel and Baltimore and you set up and you tore down and, and you led worship and you ran Destiny Kids and, and you created an atmosphere for people to come and find the hope of God. You went and you leveraged your influence to invite your parents and your coworkers and, and your neighbors and said, hey, I found a place that I think can bring you some hope, can bring you some joy. Week after week after week, you put your hands to the plow. You did something and because of that, thousands of people have encountered Christ. Now, before we launched our Baltimore campus or any campus, we had 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we sought God and we said, God, if you don't go before us, there will be no victory. There's nothing that can happen without your presence. Listen to me. Prayer is where we begin, but prayer is not where we stop. Prayer is the first step. Prayer is not the only step. Here's what God told Ezekiel. He said, hey, if this brokenness is going to come to life, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go speak the word of God over that situation. Hear me. In order for any brokenness in this world to be made whole, it requires the people of God to open their mouth and speak the hope of God, the truth of God, the justice of God over that situation. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it says this, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? That, that, that word us is capitalized because it, it refers to the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're asking a question. There's brokenness here on the earth. There's brokenness in people's mental health. There's brokenness in people's marriages. There's brokenness in racial relations. Who is going to go for us? 
My brother, uh, uh, Rich Wilkerson uh, Jr., one of my favorite people on planet Earth, he, 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 he had an entire conference around this theme, but he preached a message last year at VU conference called No One Else Is Coming. And I think about Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, where the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he said, who can we send? You know what that means? It means they're not coming. It means that God's not going to come and fix this problem, and here's why. Because he's placed the church on the earth as the solution. He is looking for the church to step up and say, hey, count me in. I'm going. I'm actually going to do something about this situation. Hear me. I'm grateful for Washington, D.C., and I'm grateful for what God is doing through believing politicians and all this other type of places and spaces. But watch this. 39% of America says they go to church on a regular basis. And our country is still in the situation that it is. I think if 39% of America could get it right, we can shift this entire country no matter what policies are changed in D.C. And I'm not just saying, hey, they, no, it's Destiny Church. We got to say, God, I'm going to go. Sign me up. Put me in the game. I want to be a part of bringing hope to this area of brokenness. And I'm telling you, I've been on the phone this week with my white brothers and sisters and Hispanic brothers and sisters, Korean brothers and sisters, hundreds and hundreds of churches across this nation saying, God, sign me up. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. I'm not going to be on the side. I'm willing to go. I'm going to be a part of of the solution. Hear me, we need to pray. We have been praying, and when we're done praying, what are we going to do? <laughs> well, we just, we just need to point everybody to Jesus. Yeah. But I'm getting in trouble. I'm, like, I'm just like all the way out there, so let's just go for it. Y'all, if 39% of our country says that they go to church on a weekly basis, but yet America is still in the state that it's in, it means the problem is in the church, not just around the church. Not just in the white church. What's a white church? It's a predominantly white church, don't play with me. Or the black church, or the Korean church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. If the problem is in the nation, and we make up 40% of the nation, then the problem is with us. You, you may not remember that, that passage, but in Galatians chapter 2, do you remember when Paul called Peter out for being a racist? You remember? It's like the most awkward passage. Nobody ever preaches it. Everybody just ignores it. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that when Peter and Paul were doing ministry, that Peter was ministering to Jew and Gentile alike. He was with them and all that other good stuff. And Scripture shows kind of prior to that, that that Peter had a little bit of skirmishness hanging around people that weren't like him, but he kind of was working his way through it. But here's what happened. When other Jews came around Peter, Peter stopped associating with Gentiles. He changed up his, his compassion, his love for people based on peer pressure. Here's the Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, but when I, Paul, saw that they were acting, watch, watch this, they weren't acting consistently with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, now I wonder why he called him Cephas, because God changed his name to Peter. Here's what Paul was saying. Peter is your redeemed name. Cephas is your ratchet name. You acting ratchet right now, so I'm going to call you Cephas. He said, I called him out in front of everyone. Here, here's what Paul was saying. He said, yes, you're a Christian, but there's parts of your life that are inconsistent with the gospel. What does the gospel mean? The gospel means good news. 
for everyone. And this is an area where your life is inconsistent with the good news of God's word. And Paul said, watch this, I'm actually going to, to risk my influence and the respect of other people to say, hey, that's not okay. You can't do that. Can I, I always ask permission to talk. Let's fix other people. But... The Bible says, first take the plank out of your own eye before you deal with the speck in somebody else's. So before I say, hey, there's an inconsistency with your life in the gospel, I have to get on my knees before the Holy Spirit and say, is there an inconsistency between the word of God and the way that I treat my wife? Is there an inconsistency between the word of God and the way that I raise my children, the word of God and the way that I manage my temple? The word of God and the way that I steward my finances, the word of God and the way that I spend my time, the way that I entertain myself with media. God, is there inconsistency in me? Here's the problem. We, we, we've been okay with our own inconsistencies. And it's very, very difficult to call out the inconsistencies in other people when we're okay with the inconsistencies in us. Here's the problem. We have no issue with our inconsistencies, but we're upset that they pick that way to be inconsistent. I'm saying God is looking to send the church and say, hey, I need you to be a voice to speak hope, to speak freedom in this area. But first, God, is there any? I love what uh, David said, creating me a clean heart. And remove, can I say it this way, any inconsistencies in me. Then after I let God deal with the inconsistencies in me, then I got to make a decision. Am I going to risk my own influence? Am I going to risk my own reputation? Am I going to risk my comfort to actually speak the hope of God over the brokenness that I see? In Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says this, how then can they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? What is it saying? Until the church opens their mouth and says, hey, that's not okay. We can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. That is inconsistent with the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. Doesn't church, I know this is strong, but I'm your pastor, and I'm going to say it, and then PZ will be here next week to love on you guys. <laughs> I think racial inequality aside, just period, Richie, I think we've been too okay with the inconsistencies in our life. I think for all of us, myself included, we have known that my life doesn't 100% line up with the truth of who God is, but I'm more godly than and here's what Paul said. He says, you deceive yourself because you're comparing yourself by yourself. When yourself, another human, was never, well, I'm not as racist as he is, or I'm not, I don't hate people, or I don't do this, or I don't do that, I don't tell jokes behind it. No, no, no. He said, no, no, that, that's not your comparison. Your comparison is Christ. Until Christ has been fully formed in you, which he hasn't been fully formed in me or anybody until you pass away, he is saying, no, you got to deal with you. Last thing is this. Write this down. We are better, we're better together, we're better together, we're better together, we're better together. Black lives matter, all lives matter. Blue lives matter, white lives matter, 
yellow, red. Black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Holy Spirit, help me. One of the things that I know and I'm working it in me, and it was kind of a whole theme or heart behind this series, is that inherently we're all selfish. We all think about me. The whole mind or heart behind this series is, hey, guys, we've been locked in our homes thinking about our children and our spouses and our money for the last 12 weeks. And, and if we don't actually realize that we can't get anything that God has for us, that we can't maximize our destiny unless we're willing to link arms and actually care about other people, listen to me. We got to fight against the inherent sinful nature to look at numero uno. If you don't think it's inherent, go back to Adam and Eve. I have never seen... I don't like the word snitch, but I have never seen such a snitch fest in my life. God shows up and he says, what happened? And Eve said, <laughs> Adam said, that was his wife, two, two verses ago, he said, whoa, man, this is good. And then as soon as he gets in trouble, he said, he said this woman who you gave me, he blamed her and he blamed God. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then Eve said, this snake, God, who you made, gave me the fruit and then I ate it. Inherently looking out for self. We genuinely don't believe that we're better together. Watch this. Ezekiel 37 verse 8 says this. I looked and the tendons of flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. I still can't breathe. Y'all, a miracle took place. That valley of very dry bones supernaturally came together. Tendons were put on it. Flesh came, but there was still no breath in it. I believe that this valley of dry bones, let me just talk prophetically, speaks to the brokenness of people's lives within the church. Every single person comes to church broken. The Bible says without Christ that you're actually dead. You're in a skeleton state in your transgressions. And we come and through the preaching of God's word, through the hope that's found in community, that there's wholeness that begins to come to our lives. Our, our bones begin to reconnect. Our marriages begin. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of pastor. We were going to get a divorce before we came to church. I was going to take my life, and, and I said, I'm going to come to church one more time. People walk through the doors in every state of brokenness. And by the way, if you find yourself in a state of brokenness, if you're white, if you're black, if you're Hispanic, if you're Asian, if whatever you are, you are welcome at Destiny Church. Destiny Church is a place where broken people are welcome. And as you find yourself in the place of God and you hear the word of God and the hope of God, your life begins to come back together. But here's what it says. It says they had bones connected, tendons, flesh, and no breath. Which means a miracle can happen and you can still be dead. Here's what the Holy Spirit said to Ezekiel. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Watch this. We stopped talking to the brokenness. And now we started talking to the breath. 
said, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, what is it? Say to the breath, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. He said, prophesy to the breath because until the breath gets it together, the brokenness will never come alive. He said, prophesy to the four winds. Now, for the sake of time, let me just help you out with that revelation. The number four represents the world. You you ever heard the analogy, the four corners of the world? It's literally talking about every culture, every color, every creed, every nationality. Here's what God says. Prophesy to the dismantled humanity and say, when the four corners of the earth, when people actually come together, that's when the breath is able to breathe back into broken situations. That's when dead things are made alive. Church, hear me. The breath is in us. But the breath will never be released as long as we remain isolated. Somebody say, the breath is in me. No, no, no. The breath is in God. He's the one that breathes life. Remember, he formed Eve out of the, the mud, and then he, or Adam out of the mud, and then he breathed life into it. Well, that's Old Testament. New Testament, he gave us the breath. John chapter 20, verse 22, it says this, and when he had said this, he breathed on them. This is when they were locked in the room. When he came off the cross, he walked in the room, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the breath that lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit means pneuma, the breath of God. We as the church, the believers, we have the breath. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, watch this, with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing breath, a pneuma, a wind, and it filled the whole house where they were City. I believe that this is a prophetic moment for the church of America. It's been a blunt message, and it's going to continue to be blunt. I'm laying this plane. African Americans have died before. The hands of injustice, and we've seen this, and we've marched, but something just feels different. I'm going to stick my head out on a limb and I'm going to say something prophetically. I think the hand of God is on this. I think God wants to do something in his church in this season that is going to shake this entire world. Watch this. Over the last 12 weeks, tens of millions of people have been praying that God would stop COVID-19, that he would bring revival to his church. Remember, I've been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks that I don't want COVID-19 to just fade away, but I'm believing that there's going to be a supernatural miracle. There's going to be revival that comes to the church. What if this is it? No, 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 no. No, no, no. This is not what I prayed for, Richie. I was praying for the transfer of wealth, for the wealth of the wicked be stored for the righteous. I was, I was praying to God, well, bless me, show me the money. I was praying that I'd get a building. I, no, no, no. What if it is that God is going to heal the brokenness of the church that we've been ignoring for decades? And here's the only way it's going to happen, that if as the church... We stop only being concerned about our personal lives being made whole. And we come together under one accord. I'm talking a destiny church right now. 
We stop walking in the door saying, I need a word. I need God to help me with this situation. I need God to bless my business. And we go out of our way and we say, hey, who around me can I build? Can I help to make whole? We got to step out of this being isolated and saying, I'm willing to link arms with black people, with white people, with whoever it may be. God, I'm, I am my brother's keeper. How do we change the world? Well, if every believer looks to speak hope and life and to link arms with somebody next to them and build their brokenness. I know we can at least transform 40% of this nation. Richie, you, you know what happens? I'll land a plane. I just need to jump on Destiny Church real quick. You know what happens oftentimes at Destiny Church when we were having live services? Y'all got to get Richie in the shot so he can he, he see his face. Right? So I'll, I'll preach, you know, six services here, two in Baltimore, and, and I'm on a platform, and I, I just love people. So as soon as we say amen, I will um, jump off the platform. I'll run out my little back door, run around the back, and I'll, and I'll head outside. Because, you know, just you know, talk to people as they go or whatever it may be. And you know how many people don't speak to me? It blow your mind. Like this, it, if this is you, you feel awkward right now. If we were in church, I would say don't look at your neighbor. Look straight ahead. But we're not. So you can look all around because this is you. you, you, you. I'll stand outside and I'll say, hey, have a great week. Richie, they won't speak to me. They won't even look up because they don't know it's the pastor. And sometimes, you know, it may be a husband and a wife or some friends or whatever. Maybe one person will look up and like, oh, that's the pastor. And then, oh, pastor, thank you, man. It was a good word, man. Man, it touched my heart. Man, how'd you know? That was really for me or, or I hate you, whatever they say. But, but when they realize that it's the pastor, they'll speak to me. Can I talk? Can I talk for a second? When they thought it was a greeter. Hmm? You've been in the parking lot, parking cars, you know. When they thought it was one of the yellow, when they thought it was somebody who wasn't that important, they had no, per, no worry ignoring them and walking past. Destiny Church, we can't do that anymore. Church can no longer be a place where we go with a selfish mindset of, man, as long as I'm blessed and my family is good and I'm built up, I'm good and I'm going to go home and build my life. No, 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 no. God, what brokenness have you called me to be a solution to? What brokenness have you called me to prophesy over, to bring hope, to bring joy, to be a listening ear, to, to share the wisdom that you've placed in me? God, what broken marriages are you sending me to that I can help build up the same way you built up mine? God, what broken health are you sending to me? Here's how we fix the nation when the people of God take the responsibility for the brokenness that is around us and answer the call when God says, who am I going to send? Say, here am I, God send me. And it's not abstract. It's not, man, I need to feel it. No, it's host a connect group over the area of brokenness that God has made you whole over. Go out of your way. Join a dream team to be a face of joy, to be a face of hope, to be a place where people can find freedom from. It is time for the church to link arms together. Destiny Church is a part of an organization of over 900 churches across the nation. It's about time that we linked arms with other churches and said, hey, we're in this together. We're building this together. And I'm telling you, there is going to be an out pouring of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it is awkward to look at dead bones. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. As soon as I say amen, I'm going to run in my office and be like, I can't believe I just said that. God help me. <laughs> but I think sometimes we need to lean into the awkward. 
If we make a decision, and by the way, I'm seeing President Church, I'm saying the decision's already made. We will not be a selfish church. We're going to be a people that looks to build everybody up around us. Some people don't want it. That's okay. A lot of people do. We may not change the world, but we're going to change this region. And the other 900 plus churches that we're connected to and the 300,000 plus churches in America, they're going to change their region. And I'm telling you, revival will come. Can these dry bones live? God says yes. The only question is, who can he send? Who's going to be a part? Can I pray for you? Father God, we're grateful. That in the midst of hopelessness, God, you've never seen a situation. God, you've never even been discouraged in your life. Because there's nothing that you've seen that you can't fix. You're just waiting for people to say, here are we, send us. Well, God, Destiny Church, we're saying we're here, send us. I speak, I don't have the authority, but I'm going to do it anyway. I speak on behalf of the Church of America, and we're saying, here we are, send us to the brokenness, and we will be the solution. Right where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, said, Holy Spirit, say, breath of God, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to speak to you. Here's the problem. Brokenness can't heal brokenness. Only wholeness can heal brokenness. Before you can be a solution to the brokenness around you, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to be a solution to the brokenness in you. And it only happens when you invite God, when you give him access to every area of your life. If you say, Pastor, I believe in God, but I've never given him access to the broken areas of my life. Or maybe you're just like, man, I don't know what I believe in, but I want the Holy Spirit. I want God the way that you're talking about. If that's you right where you are, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing your body to be broken on the cross so that I can be made whole. Today I ask that you'd forgive me, that you would accept me, that you would be my Lord and Savior. Make every broken area whole and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen and amen.